Hello, and welcome to Bun Bun's Book Club, a podcast where I read various books and discuss them to listeners. In today's episode, I'll continue on my Greek mythology series, Where I Left Off. Be prepared for some prime Olympian head bashing. So join me as I hop in. The Olympians bash some heads. Zeus had a good childhood on Mount Ida. He spent his days romping around the countryside with nymphs and satyrs, learning to fight with his loud friends, the Corettes, eating his fill of honey and magical goat milk, and of course, never going to school, because school hadn't been invented yet. By the time he was a young adult god, he had grown into a good-looking dude, all tan and ripped from his time in the forest and at the beach. He had short black hair, a neatly trimmed beard, and eyes as blue as the sky, though they could cloud over very fast when he got angry. One day his mom, Ray, came to visit on her chariot pulled by the lions. Zeus, she said, you need a summer job. Zeus scratched his beard. He liked the word summer. He wasn't so sure about the word job yet. Uh, uh, what did you have in mind? Ray's eyes gleamed. She had been planning her revenge on Cronus for a long, long time. Now, looking at her son, so confident, so strong, so handsome, she knew the time had come. There's an opening at the palace for a cupbearer, she said. But I have no experience bearing cups, Zeus said. Oh, it's easy, Ray promised. Whenever King Kronos asks for a drink, you bring it right to him. The pay isn't great, but the job has good side benefits, such as overthrowing your father and becoming Lord of the Cosmos. Heck, I'm down with that, Zeus said. But won't Kronos recognize me as a god? You know, I've been thinking about that, Ray said. Your siblings have survived in Cronus's gut all these years, and like you, they're fully grown by now. That means they must have the power to change their size and shape. You should have that power, too. See, if you can make yourself appear less godly, more titanish, Zeus had considered that. He had already discovered his ability to change shape. Once, he'd scared his caretaker nymphs by transforming into a bear. Another time, he'd won a foot race with some satyrs by transforming into a wolf. The satyrs claimed he'd cheated, but he totally hadn't. It was a foot race. Wolves ran on their feet. It's not like he turned into an eagle, which he could also do. The only titan that Zeus had ever seen up close was his mother, but he knew titans were general, generally bigger than he was. They didn't radiate power the way he did. They got, gave off a slightly different vibe, more violent and rougher around the edges. He imagined himself as a titan. When he opened his eyes, he was taller than his mom for the first time. He felt as if he'd slept badly after a hard day strangling his enemies. Well done, Ray said. Now, 
let's go to your job interview. When Zeus saw Mount Othrys for the first time, his jaw dropped. The palace was huge. Its gleaming black towers rose into the clouds like greedy fingers grasping for the stars. The fortress was meant to inspire fear. Zeus understood that immediately. But it also seemed lonely and dismal. Not a fun place to be king. Zeus decided that if he were to ever get his own crib, it would be so much cooler than Mount Hothras. He wouldn't go so heavy on the whole Lord of Darkness look. His palace would be brilliant, blindingly white. One thing at a time, he told himself, I have to bear cups first. Rhea escorted her son into the royal hall, where old King Cannibal was snoozing on his throne. The years had not been so kind to Kronos, which was ironic, since he was the lord of time. He hadn't aged exactly, but he seemed tired and very listless. Making mortal life forms wither and die no longer amused him. Stepping on humans didn't make him laugh like it used to, despite their cute little shrieks. He'd put on weight from eating and drinking so, so much. The five gods in his stomach didn't help. They'd gotten bigger and heavier over the years. They were constantly trying to break out by climbing up Kronos's throat. Their attempts were unsuccessful, but they gave Kronos terrible acid reflux. Ray approached the throne. My lord, I have someone for you to meet. Kronos snorted and opened his eyes. <laughs> I wasn't asleep. He blinked at the handsome young titan who stood before him. Who? The young immortal bowed low. I am Zeus, my lord. Zeus had decided to use his real name, because why not? Kronos had never heard it. I would like to be your cupbearer. Kronos studied the newcomer's face. Something about him seemed vaguely familiar. The sparkle in his eyes, the crooked way he smiled. Of course, all the Titans were related. Maybe that was it. Kronos had so many nieces and nephews these days, he couldn't keep track of all of them. Still, he found this young one unsettling. He looked around, trying to remember exactly who had introduced the boy. But Ray had already faded into the shadows. Kronos' stomach was too full, and his thoughts were too sluggish for him to stay suspicious for very long. Well, he said to the boy, do you have any experience bearing cups? Zeus grinned. No, my lord, but I'm a quick learner. I can also sing, dance, and tell satyr jokes. Zeus burst into a song the nymphs had taught him. Then he demonstrated some Corette's dance moves. It was the most interesting thing that had happened on Mount Othrys in a very, very long time. Other titans gathered in the throne room to watch. Soon they were cheering and laughing. Even Kronos had a smile on his face. You're hired, Kronos said. In fact, I'm thirsty right now. One cup coming up. Zeus hustled off to find the kitchen, 
where he filled a golden chalice with ice-cold nectar. In no time, Zeus became the most popular servant in the palace. He bore cups like nobody's business. His singing was as clear as the streams on Mount Ida. His satyr jokes were so on edge. I can't tell them in a family-friendly book, though. He always knew exactly what Cronus would like to drink. Hot spiced nectar, cold nectar with a twist of lemon, nectar spritzer with a little cranberry juice. He also introduced the Titans to drinking contests, which were very, very popular with them, and with the satyrs back on Mount Ida. Everybody at the table started chugging at the same time. The fastest drinker won. What did he win? Well, nothing. But it was a great way to show off, because nothing looks more manly or, well, Titanly, then giving nectar and having nectar dribbling down your chin all over your shirt. These contests rekindled some of Kronos' competitive spirit. Sure, he was king of the universe, but he's still the youngest of 12 kids. He couldn't allow his brothers or nephews to be better, at him, better than him at anything. Despite his constantly full stomach, he got to the point where he could chug a full goblet of nectar in three seconds flat. And Titan goblets were the size of water cooler jugs. He trusted Zeus to fill his glass with whatever would go down the smoothest. Which was exactly Zeus's plan. One night, when Kronos was dining with his favorite lieutenants, Zeus mixed up some special brews for the drinking contest. The nymphs back on Mount Ida had taught him a lot about herbs and stuff. He knew which plants could make you drowsy, which ones could make you dizzy, and which could make you feel so terrible your stomach would want to exit your body. For the king's guests, Zeus mixed up some sleepy time extra dizzy night-night nectar. For Kronos, he mixed a special blend of nectar and mustard. Some versions of the story will say Zeus used wine, but that can't be right, because wine hadn't been invented yet. But we'll get to that later. Anyway, the stuff in Kronos's goblet was super nasty. Zeus set it aside and waited for the right moment. Dinner started out as usual, with lots of drinking, eating, and catching up on the Titan news of the day. Zeus kept the nectar flowing. He entertained the guest with his jokes and his singing. Toward the end of the evening, when everybody was content and relaxed and sleepy, Zeus began boasting about the king's drinking skill. Kronos is the boss at drinking, he proclaimed. You should see him. The guy is insane. I mean, his record is what? Three seconds? Ugh, Kronos said. He was full already and had been hoping to avoid a drinking contest. If he wanted to, Zeus said, he could drink faster than all of you. I bet he would set a new world record tonight. Wouldn't you love to see that? Atlas, Hyperion, Koyos, and the others cheered and called for a contest. Kronos really wasn't in the mood. But he couldn't decline. His honor as a super chugger was at stake. He gestured for Zeus to bring in another round. Zeus ran to the kitchen and fetched his special concoctions. He offered the guests their sleepy time nectar, then served Kronos last, giving the king no time to smell his brew before yelling, Ready? 
Set. Go. The Titans gulped down their tasty beverages. Kronos immediately noticed that his nectar tasted weird. But it was a contest. He couldn't stop chugging. The whole point was to drain the cup. Maybe his taste buds were just a little off. After all, Zeus had never steered him wrong. Kronos drained his nectar in two and a half seconds. He slammed the goblet upside down on the table and shouted, I win! I... The next sound out of his mouth was like a walrus getting the Heimlich maneuver. There's no pleasant way to say it. Kronos puked. He puked. He puked a puke worthy of the king of the universe. It was a kingly puke. His stomach tried to propel itself out of his throat. His mouth hinged open all by itself. The better top, chuck you with, my dear. And shot out five gods. A very slimy rock. Quite a lot of nectar. Some biscuits. And a chariot license plate. No, I don't know how all that got in there. The five disgorged gods immediately grew to full-size adults right there on the dining room table. The Titan guests stared in amazement, their minds working slowly due to the spiked nectar. As for Kronos, he was still trying to catapult his guts across the throne room. Get them! He retched. Atlas was the first to react. He yelled, Gods! And tried to stand. But he was so dizzy, he fell right into Hyperion's lap. Zeus wanted to lunge for his father's scythe. He wanted to slice up the old cannibal right on the spot. But the other titans were starting to recover from their shock. They might be slow and sleepy, but they had weapons. Meanwhile, Zeus's only weapon was a serving tray. His army consisted of five slimy, unarmed gods who had spent very little time outside his stomach much less in combat. Guards started pouring into the throne room. Zeus turned to his confused siblings. I'm your brother Zeus. Follow me, and I will give you freedom and revenge. Also honey and goat milk. That was good enough for the gods. While Cronus reached for his fighters, fumbled with their weapons, he retched and retched. Zeus and his siblings turned into eagles, and soared out of the palace. Now what? Hades asked. The six gods had gathered at Zeus's secret lair on Mount Ida, which his siblings refused to call the Zeus cave. Zeus had briefed them on what was happening in the world, but they all knew they couldn't stay on Mount Ida very long. The nymphs had heard rumors whispered throughout the earth, Cronus was sending his titans to scour the world for the escapees. He wanted them brought back, either in chains or in small pieces. He wasn't particular. Now we fight, Zeus said. Poison Poseidon grunted. He'd only been out of Cronus's gut for a day, but he was already starting to dislike his youngest brother. This upset Zeus, who thought he should be in charge just because he had rescued them. I'm all for fighting, Dad, Poseidon said, but that requires weapons. Do you have any? Zeus scratched his ear. He hadn't really thought that far ahead. Well, no. Perhaps we can make peace, Hestia suggested. 
The others stared at her as if she was crazy. Hestia was the eldest and gentlest of the gods, but her siblings didn't take her seriously. You have to wonder how the world might have been different if Hestia had been put in charge. But alas, she wasn't. Uh, no, said Demeter. I will never forgive our father. Perhaps we could steal his scythe. We could chop him up like he did Oranos. Then I could use the scythe for something better. Like cutting wheat. Did you see those beautiful fields we flew over? Hera scowled at her sister. What is it with you and crops? All those years in Cronus's gut, all you ever talked about was plants, 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 which you never even saw before today. Demeter blushed. I don't know. I always dream about green fields. They're so peaceful and beautiful and... My children, said a voice from the woods. Mother Ray stepped into the clearing. She hugged each of her precious sons and daughters, weeping tears of joy over their freedom. Then she drew them together and said, I know where you can get weapons. She told them the story of the hundred-handed ones and the elder Cyclopes, whom Cronus had exiled to Tartarus for a second time. The hundred-handed ones are incredible stonemasons, Ray said. They built a palace, Cronus's palace, which is pretty awesome, Zeus admitted. They're strong, and they hate Kronos, Ray continued. They would be good in battle. As for the Cyclopes, they are talented blacksmiths. If anyone can forge weapons more powerful than your father's scythe, they can. Hades' dark eyes gleamed. The idea of descending into the most dangerous, vilest part of creation somehow appealed to him. So we go to Tartarus, and we bring back the Cyclopes, and the Hundred-Handed Ones. Piece of cake, said Hera. She knew about cake, because Kronos had eaten lots of it. The crumbs and icings were always getting in her hair. Let's go! A Tartarus jailbreak may not sound like an easy thing for you or me, but six gods can accomplish a lot when they put their minds to it. Hades found a cave system that led deep into the underworld. He seemed to have a knack for navigating the tunnels. He led his siblings along the course of a subterranean river called the Styx until it spilled over a cave in the void of Tartarus. The gods became bats. You could argue that they were already bats, but you know what I mean. And flew into the abyss. At the bottom, they found a gloomy landscape of rocks, gray wastes, fiery pits, and poisonous fog, with all sorts of nasty monsters and evil spirits roaming about. Apparently, Tartarus, the spirit of the pit, had been breeding more primordial gods down there in the darkness, and they'd been having kids of their own. The six young gods crept around until they found the maximum security zone surrounded by a high brass wall and patrolled by demons. In bat form, the gods could fly over the wall easily, but once inside, they spotted the jailer and almost lost their nerve. 
Kronos had personally hired the most horrible monster in Tartarus to make sure his high-value prisoners never escaped. Her name was Campe. I don't know if Kronos found her on Craigslist or what, but if the worst creatures from your nightmares had nightmares of their own, they would probably dream about Campe. From the waist up, she was a humanoid female with snakes for hair. If that sounds familiar, it's because the hair doy really caught on with other monsters later. From the waist down, she was a four-legged dragon. Thousands of vipers sprouted from her legs like grass skirts. Her waist was ringed with the heads of 50 hideous beasts. Bears, boars, wombats, you name it. Always snapping and snarling and trying to eat Campe's shirt. Large, dark reptilian wings grew from her shoulder blades. Her scorpion-like tail swished back and forth, dripping venom. Basically, Campe didn't get invited on many dates. The gods watched from behind a pile of boulders as the monstrous jailer tromped back and forth, lashing the elder Cyclopes with a fiery whip and stinging the hundred-handed ones with her scorpion tail whenever they got out of line. The poor prisoners were forced to work without any break. No water, no sleep, no food, nothing. The hundred-handed ones spent their time at the far end of the yard, quarrying stone blocks from the hard volcanic floor. The Cyclopes worked at the closer end. They each had a forge where they smelted metals and hammered out sheets of bronze and iron. If the Cyclopes tried to sit down or even pause long enough to catch their breaths, Campe would leave fresh, burning lash marks across their backs. Even worse, the prisoners weren't allowed to finish anything they started. As soon as the hundred-handed ones had a godly stack of building blocks, Campe forced them to break their quarried stone into rubble. Whenever the Cyclopes were on the verge of finishing a weapon or a shield or even a tool that might be dangerous, Campe confiscated it and threw it into the burning pits of magma. I know, you're probably thinking, hey, there were six big dudes and only one Campe. Why didn't they overpower her? But Campe had the whip. The venom in her tail could incapacitate even an elder Cyclopes for hours, leaving him writhing in pain. The dragon lady was straight up terrifying, and the prisoners were chained around their feet so they couldn't run far. Besides, the hundred-handed ones and the Cyclopes were gentle souls. Despite their looks, they were builders, not fighters. Give these dudes a bucket of Legos, and they'd be happy for days. Zeus waited until Campe marched to the far end of the prison yard. Then he sneaked up to the nearest Cyclops. Psst, he called. The Cyclops lowered his hammer. He turned towards Zeus, but his one big eye had been staring into the flames so long, he couldn't see who was talking. I am not psst, the Cyclops said. I am Brontes. Oh boy, Zeus thought. This may take a while. Hey, Brontes. Zeus spoke slowly and cheerfully like he was trying to coax a puppy out of its box. I'm Zeus. I've come to rescue you. Brontes scowled. I have heard that before. Kronos tricked us. 
Yeah, I know, Zeus said. Kronos is my enemy, too. Together we can get revenge and throw him down here. How does that sound? Sounds good, but how? Brontes asked. First we need weapons, Zeus said. Can you make us some? Brontes shook his head. Campe always watching. She will not let us finish any project. How about you each make a different part of each weapon? Zeus suggested. Then you can assemble them at the last second and toss them over to us. Campe will never know. You are very smart. I know, right? Spread the word to all your friends. Zeus crept back behind the boulders. Brontes whispered the plan to his brothers Argus and Steropes. Then they tapped their hammers on their anvils in a secret code they'd developed, sending the message across the yard to the hundred-handed ones, Briar, Kotos, and Gaius. I know, those are kind of some weird names, but remember, Gaia didn't have much time to hold their monstrous triplet heads before Oranus pitched them into Tartarus. But hey, it could have been worse. The gods waited in the darkness while the Cyclopes forged pieces of the new weapons, making each one look like a harmless, incomplete doohickey. I don't know if the stuff would have gotten through airport security, but it was good enough to fool Campe. The next time the she-dragon turned her back and marched toward the far side of the yard, Brontes quickly assembled the first magic weapon and tossed it to Zeus. It looked like a bronze rocket, about four feet long, with nose cones on both ends. Zeus's hand fit perfectly around the cinder. As soon as he lifted it, his whole body tingled with power. Poseidon frowned. Did what is that? It's not a scythe. Sparks flew from the points. Electricity arced from the one end to the other. Zeus aimed the thing at a nearby boulder, and a thousand tendrils of lightning zapped it to dust. Oh, yeah, Zeus said. I can work with this. Fortunately, Campe didn't seem to notice the blast. Maybe things exploded a lot in Tartarus. A few minutes later, Brontes tossed them a second weapon, a spear with three prongs. Poseidon caught it. He immediately fell in love with the trident. He liked pointy things. Also, he could feel the power of storms humming through the spear. When he concentrated, a miniature tornado swirled around its three points, getting faster and larger the more he focused. When he planted the spear on the ground... The floor of the pit began to shake and crack. Best weapon, he announced, right here. Brontes tossed them a third item. Hades caught this one. A gleaming bronze war helmet decorated with scenes of death and destruction. You get weapons, Hades grumbled. I get a hat. He put it on and disappeared. Dude, you're invisible, Zeus said. Yeah, I'm used to it, Hades sighed miserably. No, I mean, you're actually invisible. Huh? Hades willed himself to turn visible again. 
That is one scary hat, Demeter said. Yeah, Hades agreed. I guess it is. He decided to try something else. He glared at his brothers, and waves of terror radiated from the helmet. Zeus and Poseidon turned pale. They started to sweat. Zeus almost dropped his new lightning maker. Stop that, Zeus hissed. You're freaking me out. Hades grinned. Okay, maybe the hat isn't so bad. Hera crossed her arms and sniffed disdainfully. Boys and their toys. I don't suppose we get our weapons. Are we just supposed to stand back and be the cheerleaders while you three do the fighting? Zeus winked at her. Don't worry, babe. I'll protect you. Ugh, I think I'm going to be sick, Harris said. It's possible the Cyclopes would have made weapons for the women. But at that moment, Kempe turned and marched back toward the Cyclopes. Maybe she had noticed the smoke from Zeus's lightning blast or the swirling clouds from Poseidon's trident. Maybe she could taste the residual fear in the air from Hades' helmet. Whatever tipped her off, she detected the presence of the gods. She raised her whip and howled, She charged toward their hiding place, her tail lashing, the thousands of vipers around her legs dripping poison. Great, muttered Era. I got this, Zeus promised. He stood and raised his bronze lightning bolt. He focused all his energy into the weapon. Kablam! A column of white-hot power shot toward Kempe, the most blinding light that had ever been seen in Tartarus. Kempe just had time to think. Uh-oh, before the bolt blasted her into a million sizzling pieces of reptile confetti. Now that's what I'm talking about, Zeus yelled happily. Poseidon lowered his trident. Man, give the rest of us a chance. You go free the Cyclopes and the Hundred-Handed Ones, Zeus suggested. Poseidon grumbled, but he used his trident to strike the dark chains from the prisoner's feet. Thank you, Bronte said. We will help you fight Kronos. Excellent, Zeus said. Hera cleared her throat. <clears throat> yes, but... About those weapons? For the ladies? Outside the bronze walls, monstrous roars reverberated through the pit. Every spirit and beast in Tartarus had probably seen the flash of lightning, and now they were closing in to investigate. We should leave, Demeter said. Like, right now? That was the best non-grain-related idea Demeter had ever thought. So Hades led his siblings back to the upper world, along with their six large new friends. Kronos wasn't an easy guy to defeat. By most accounts, the Titan War took ten years. Or maybe Kronos just used his time tricks to make it seem that long, hoping the gods would give up. If so, it didn't work. Rey, the Great Mother, visited every Titan she could, trying to persuade them to side with Zeus. Many listened. 
After all, Cronus wasn't the most popular leader. Almost all the female titans either helped Zeus or stayed out of his way. Prometheus, the creator of humans, was smart enough to remain neutral. Oceanus kept to himself in the depths of the ocean. Helios and Selene, the sun and moon, agreed not to take sides as long as they got to keep their jobs. That left Kronos and most of the other male titans with Atlas as his general and champion fighter. The gods and titans skirmished back and forth, blowing up an island here, vaporizing a sea there. The titans were strong and well-armed. At the beginning, they held the advantage. Even with magic cyclops weapons, the gods weren't used to combat. It's a hard thing not to drop your trident and run when Atlas is barreling down on you, screaming and waving his sword. But the gods did learn to fight. The Cyclopes eventually armed all of Zeus's allies with top-of-the-line weapons. The hundred-handed ones learned to throw barrages of stones like living catapults. You're thinking, how hard can it be to throw rocks? Okay, you try throwing rocks with both hands at the same time and hitting your target. It's not as easy as it sounds. Now imagine coordinating 100 hands, all throwing rocks at the size of refrigerators. If you're not careful, you'll spew rocks everywhere and crush yourself and your allies. Once the gods learned to fight, the war still took a long time. Because none of the combatants on either side could die. You just couldn't stab a guy, zap him, or throw a house on him and call it a day. You had to actually catapult each enemy and make sure he was hurt so badly he would never heal. Then you had to figure out what to do with his crippled body. As Zeus knew, even throwing somebody into Tartarus wasn't a guarantee he would stay gone forever. Little skirmishes weren't going to decide anything. Finally, Zeus came up with his big plan. We have to storm Mount Othrys, he told his siblings at their weekly war meeting. A full frontal assault on their headquarters. If we do that, the hostile titans will rally to protect Kronos. Then we can take them all down at once. In other words, Hades said, you want us to commit suicide. Poseidon leaned on his triton. For once, I agree with Hades. If we march up the slopes of Mount Othrys, Atlas will be ready for us. His troops will have the high ground. They'll smash us flat. If we try flying in, we'll get shot out of the air. They've got plenty of anti-god missile weapons. Zeus's eyes gleamed. But I've got a different plan. We'll soften them up by attacking from the next mountain over. We do what now? asked Demeter. She looked uncomfortable in her armor, even though she'd designed it herself. She'd painted a sheaf of barley and a daisy on her shield, and for her main weapon, she'd chosen a fearsome garden trowel. Zeus drew a map of the Greek mainland in the dirt. Near Mount Othrys was another Greek mountain, not quite as tall, not as well known, it was called Mount Olympus. We scale Mount Olympus, Zeus said. They won't be expecting that. But Othrys will be within range of our missile weapons. 
The hundred-handed ones will launch volleyballs of boulders. I'll best out the lightning. Poseidon will summon the storms and earthquakes. And I'll turn invisible, Hades muttered. Zeus clapped his brother on the shoulder. You have an important job, too. You send waves of terror through the enemy ranks. Once we've destroyed their defenses, we all fly over there. Including us three goddesses? Demeter prompted. We can fight too, you know. Sure, Zeus smiled nervously. Did you think I'd forgotten you? Yes, said Demeter. Uh, anyway, Zeus continued. We fly over Mount Othrys, smash anybody who's left standing, and take them all prisoner. Hester wrapped herself in her plain brown shawl. I still think we should make peace. No! The others yelled. Hera tapped the dirt map. It's a crazy plan. I like it. So that night, under the cover of darkness, the gods and all their allies climbed Mount Olympus for the first time. The next morning, as Helios rode his chick magnet into the sky, King Kronos awoke to the sound, a sound like thunder. Probably because it was thunder. Storm clouds rolled in from every direction. Zeus hurled a lightning bolt that blasted the tallest tower into black marble shrapnel. The hundred-handed ones chucked so many boulders toward Mount Othrys that when Kronos looked out into his window, it seemed to be raining major appliances. The beautiful palace domes imploded into mushroom clouds of dust. Walls crumbled. Columns fell like dominoes. The hundred-handed ones had built Mount Othrys, and they knew exactly how to destroy it. As the palace shook, Kronos grabbed his scythe and called to his brethren to attack. But the thing was, A, scythes don't really do much against boulders and lightning. B, nobody could hear him over the noise. And C, the palace was disintegrating around him. Just as he was saying, Titans, let's go! A three-ton section of the ceiling collapsed on his head. The battle was a massacre. If you can have a massacre where nobody dies. A few titans tried to counterattack, only to be buried in an avalanche of rubble and boulders. After the initial assault, the gods flew over and mopped up the resistance. Poseidon summoned earthquakes to swallow their enemies. Hades popped up in random places and yelled, Boo! His helmet of terror, or his boo cap as others called it, sent titans fleeing straight off the sides of cliffs or into the waiting arms of the elder Cyclopes. When the dust settled and the storm clouds lifted, even the gods were in awe of what they'd done. Not only was Kronos's palace gone, but the entire top of Mount Othrys had been sheared away with it. Did I tell you Othrys was the highest mountain in Greece? Not anymore. Today, Mount Olympus, which used to be the smaller mountain, is over 9,000 feet tall. Mount Othrys is only 5,000 and change. Zeus and the hundred-handed ones had basically cut the mountain in half. The Cyclopes dug the titans out of the rubble and began chaining them up. None of them got away. 
General Atlas and the four brothers who controlled the corners of the earth were dragged before Zeus and made to kneel. Ah, my dear uncles, Zeus chuckled. Koyos, Krios, Hyperion, Iapetus, you four are going straight to Tartarus, where you will remain for all time. The four brothers hung their heads in shame, but General Atlas laughed at his captors. <laughs> Puny gods, he bellowed. Even wrapped in chains, he was intimidating. You know nothing of how the universe works. If you throw these four into Tartarus, the entire sky will fall. Only their presence at the four corners of the earth keeps the wide expanse of Ornus from crashing down upon us. Maybe, Zeus grinned. But fortunately, Atlas, I have a solution. You're always boasting how strong you are. From now on, you're going to hold the sky up all by yourself. Say what now? Brontes, Argus, Steropes? Zeus called. He's all yours. The elder Cyclopes dragged Atlas to a distant mountaintop where the sky was very close. I don't know how they did it, but they caused the sky to form a new central support pillar, a single funnel cloud, like the bottom point of a spinning top. They chained Atlas to the mountain and forced the entire weight of the sky onto his shoulders. Now you're thinking, why didn't he just refuse to hold it and let the sky fall? I did mention the chains, right? He couldn't run away without getting flattened. Also, it's hard to appreciate unless you've done it, which I have. But holding the sky is kind of like being stuck under a loaded barbell during a bench press. All your concentration goes into keeping that thing from crushing you. You can't lift it because it's too heavy. You can't release it because it will squash you as it drops. All you can do is hold it in place, sweating and straining and whimpering, help. Hoping somebody will walk through the gym, notice you slowly being pressed into a pancake, and lift the weight off of you. But what if no one does? Imagine being stuck in that situation for eternity. That was Atlas's punishment. All the other titans who fought in the war got off easy. They were pitched headfirst into Tartarus. Which leaves us with the million drachma question. What happened to Kronos? There are a lot of different stories. Most agree that the Crooked One was dug out of the rubble and brought before Zeus. Most say he was bound in chains like the other Titans and tossed into Tartarus. According to some later traditions, and I kind of like this version, Zeus took his father's scythe and sliced him up the way Kronos had sliced up Ornos. Kronos was thrown into Tartarus in teeny tiny pieces. Supposedly, that's where we get the idea of Father Time with a scythe, being deposed every January 1st by Baby New Year. Though it's difficult to imagine Zeus in a diaper and a party hat. Some versions claim that Zeus released Kronos from Tartarus many years later, either to live out his retirement in Italy or to rule the Isles of the Blessed in Elysium. Personally, I don't buy that. It doesn't make sense if you believe that Cronus was chopped into bits. And if you know Zeus, you know he's not exactly the forgive and forget type. Anyway, Cronus was done. The age of the Titans was over. The Titans who didn't fight against the gods were allowed to stick around. Some, like Helios and Selene, kept their jobs. 
Some even intermarried with the gods. Zeus named himself the new king of the cosmos, but he was smarter than Kronos. He sat down with his brothers and said, Look, I want to be fair about this. How about we throw dice for control of different parts of the world? Highest roll gets first choice? Hades frowned. Oh, rotten luck. What parts are we talking about? The sky, the sea, and the underworld, Zeus offered. You mean Tartarus? Poseidon asked. Gross. I mean the upper underworld, Zeus said. You know the nice part near to the surface? That's not so bad. Big caves, lots of jewels, riverside real estate on the sticks? Huh? Hades said. What about the earth itself? Greece and all the other lands. That will be neutral territory, Zeus suggested. We can all operate on the earth. The brothers agreed. Notice how the sisters were not involved in this little dice game? I know. Totally unfair. But that's how it went down. No surprise, Zeus got the highest roll. He chose the sky for his domain. Which made sense because of all the lightning bolts and all. Poseidon got the second highest roll. He chose the sea and became the supreme god of the waters above Oceanus, who got pushed even farther to the margins of the world, and Pontus, who was mostly asleep in the musk of all time anyway. Hades got the worst roll, as he expected. He took the underworld as his domain, but it kind of suited his gloomy personality, so he didn't complain. Much. The hundred-handed ones built Zeus the gleaming palace he'd always dreamed of at the top of Mount Olympus. Then Zeus sent them back down to Tartarus, but this time as jailers to watch over the Titans. The hundred-handed ones didn't really mind. At least now they were the ones with the whips. The elder Cyclopes went to work for the gods. They constructed a workshop at the bottom of the sea near the island of Lemnos where there was lots of volcanic heat to power their forges. They made tons of special weapons and other fun collectibles, and had good health package with the week, with the week of paid vacation every year. As for the gods, Zeus invited them all to live with him on Mount Olympus. Each of them had a throne in the main hall. So even though Zeus was in charge, it was more like a council than a dictatorship. They called themselves the Olympians. Well, I say they were all welcome in Olympus, but Hades, not so much. The guy had always creeped out his siblings. Now that was the lord of the underworld. He seemed to bring doom and darkness with him wherever he went. You understand, Zeus told him privately. We can't have an underworld thrown up here on Mount Olympus. It would make the other gods uncomfortable, and the skulls and black stone, it really doesn't go with the decor. Oh, um, sure, grumbled Hades. I, I see how it is. Anyway, that's how things got started with the gods on Mount Olympus. Eventually, there would be twelve thrones in the council, cha council chamber, and a whole bunch of other gods who didn't have thrones. The Olympians figured that they could now settle down and rule the world in peace. There was only one problem. Remember that the Earth Mother Gaia was taking a nap all this time? Well, 
Eventually, she would wake up. And when she got home and found out that her favorite kids, the Titans, had been thrown into Tartarus, Zeusy was going to have some explaining to do. But that's a tale for another day. Now it's time to meet the gods, up close and personal. Just be warmed. Some of their stories might make you feel like Kronos after a big glass of mustard nectar.